Hey there, Java junkies, it's Andrea. Before we start today's show, I just wanted to let you know that we have reached a new milestone. Today is the 100th episode of Time for Coffee. And in addition to saying a huge thank you to each and every one of you for your support and your effort to share Time for Coffee's love of Java and jobs with your friends and colleagues, I'm also releasing an extra special interview today with an incredible person and professional whose name is Lenny Stern. And Lenny's advice to Java junkies is super important. In a nutshell, it's to think outside whatever box you may want to step into career-wise. Because in today's business marketplace, no matter what you may want to do, the wider your aperture, the more you can paint like a Picasso rather than Rembrandt, the more you can think creatively and combine your interests and skills across industries, the better off you'll be. There's a ton more in this interview, which I hope you will enjoy listening to as much as I enjoyed recording it. Thanks again, everybody, and enjoy the show. Hi there, I'm Andrea Koppel, and it's time for coffee, the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, Java junkies. Welcome to another episode of T4C. I am so glad you press play. And when you learn more about my guest today, you will be too. Because if you're interested in marketing, in strategic communications, in advertising, and perhaps even in deploying these skills on a political campaign or in the corporate or nonprofit worlds, then get ready, my friends, for a master class because my next guest is that good. In fact, he is among the best at what he does. But before I introduce you to Lenny Stern, I want to make sure you've signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's the weekly newsletter we blast out on Mondays to give you an exclusive overview of the episodes we're going to be dropping that week. And it is super easy to do. Just head over to the Time for Coffee website at time the number fourcoffee.org and the sign up box is right there. And if you've got a couple minutes, I want to invite you to scroll down to check out the rest of the T4C homepage and you'll see that we've organized all the T4C episodes we've already dropped by career. So if you're interested in entrepreneurship, you can click on that box or perhaps it's advertising and marketing or writing or communications and public relations or journalism. Whatever your interest is, there should be a box for you to click with a bunch of professionals in those careers for you to binge on. And if we are missing a career and maybe professionals you're interested in, then please hit me up on email at Andrea at time, the number four coffee.org and let me know and I will do my best to line up those guests for you. I promise. Now, my friends, please grab your mug and take a chug of a delicious hot caffeinated brew because it is time for another caffeinated career conversation. And I am so excited to introduce my incredible next guest, Lenny Stern, who is one of the co-founders of SS&K, the creative marketing communication agency, where Lenny's passion 
is developing creative solutions to guide organizations through moments of change and challenge, whether it's reestablishing iconic brands, launching new ones, helping insurgents disrupt an existing category, or helping organizations stand for important issues. Lenny started his career in the competitive zero-sum world of politics, and that background helped to influence Lenny and his firm's unique approach, which is what they use to this day. And that is to define yourself, define who you're for, define the competition, define the stakes, and then engage. Don't simply communicate. Lenny has guided relaunches of brands like Delta, Wells Fargo, Pfizer, Time Warner Cable, Travelers, Comcast, and GM, while his work creating new brands for TiVo, Chevy Volt, Fresh Direct, Honesty, and on and on, has helped numerous Davids go up against category Goliaths in tough competitive markets. Lenny and his firm also created the youth campaigns for the Barack Obama presidential campaigns of 2008 and 2012. And those campaigns are credited with providing the decisive margins that resulted in Obama's victories. Lenny, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you caffeinated and ready to go? Yes, I am. Three cups in, although I'm exhausted by your lovely, gracious introduction. I was melodramatic there with the breath because truly I could have gone on and on. You have had such an extraordinary career and you are such an extraordinary professional that I have to start, Lenny, with my first question, and that is why Mark Wahlberg hasn't yet produced a Netflix show around you the way he built the hugely successful show Entourage around the super talent agent Ari Emanuel? Probably because hopefully I'm a little nicer and a little bit more normal, but you'll have to ask him. Honestly, what I was going to say is while you definitely have the Hollywood looks, you are a hell of a lot nicer (laughs) from what I understand Ari is. And that said, you've got the story. Well, that's very kind of you. You know, for me, the number one thing is to be passionate about what you do. I was always told, do what you love, love what you do, do it with people you care about and make an impact. And if you do that, you can live a pretty happy, rich, interesting life. And I've tried my best to live by that credo. And so far, so good. Absolutely. And we should also tell Java Junkies that I have known you for such a long time because you and your beautiful wife, Lauren, and your daughters are dear friends of my sister, Deirdre, and my brother-in-law, Larry. And I mean, not just dear friends, you're probably among their closest friends. So I know what kind of person you are, and you are definitely not and Ari Emanuel in that regard. Well, you know, Ari's a talented guy. So, but uh, I'm definitely a different cup of Java, but a cup of Java in that as well. Fantastic. So Lenny, before we get into the incredible work that you and your partners do at SSNK and how you do what you do for your clients, I think it would be really helpful for our young listeners to better understand you first. And let's use that formula that I laid out a moment ago that you've developed to help your clients knock their advertising and marketing campaigns out of the park. And that is define yourself, define who you're for, et cetera. Lenny, could you please define yourself and not how you would define yourself today in 2018? 
19 as a mature, super successful entrepreneur, an expert in strategic marketing and advertising, but rather 25 years ago. In 1993, when you and your partners, Rob Shepardson, Marty Kaminsky, and the legendary ad man, David McCall, decided to start your own firm. Well, for me, it starts with, and I think for most people, it should start with who they are, their upbringing, and their authentic self. And for me, that starts with my family. And I say it because my dad was born in Poland. He was one of six brothers. He was 15 when World War II started and sadly separated from his family immediately, ended up in work camps and ended up in Dachau and Auschwitz and ultimately was liberated at 89 pounds to find out that his whole family had had passed away and been killed in the war. And when you survive something like that, you are damaged in some way, shape, or form. The oversimplification, I say, is you are either damaged and angry or damaged and a little crazy. My dad was damaged and a little crazy, but crazy with passion. He never lost faith in people, and he never lost faith in hope and optimism. And he attacked life at 100 miles an hour. He always was a believer of doing what you love, pursuing what you're passionate about. He came to America. My mom was a social worker in Brooklyn who had equal values. And both of them taught my sister and I that don't chase money, chase what you love, do it with people you care about and make an impact and make a difference. And that's what I've tried to live by my whole life. And as a result, my career path has been like proudly a crooked path, but it's been a crooked path pursuing things that really mattered to me and I cared about and that would add to what I am today. And I think if you think about our little mantra of define yourself, define who you're for, define the competition, define the stakes. For me, I've always tried to be a passionate problem solver for people and issues that matter to me. That's sort of what I am about. I try to do that for people who really want to make a difference and have something that is significant that they want to tackle. We are who our competition is. It could be anybody, but it is people who are in the space of trying to make a difference. And for me, what's at stake, big and small, is impact and making change and improving the situation. And that has been sort of my whole career. I started out in politics because I thought you could make change there. And as you referred to the zero sum, fast paced, integrated world of politics, there's no time for advertising to be in one place, digital to be in another, strategy to another. Everybody sat around a table, everybody participated together and influenced each other's work. It was very research-based, understanding what consumers, not just what they think, but why they think it how to motivate action. And then it was a very creative world where you had a short time frame to ignite change and make a difference and get people off a couch to vote, to give money and so on and so forth. So it was much more than communications. It was about engagement, as you say, starting a conversation, building a community. And I really felt you could do that and change the world and make it a better place. And maybe that was because I was 20 and, and naive, but I still believe as challenging as politics is, are today, you can still do that. And my partners and I felt what if we took that model and brought it into the world of marketing communications and help business and brands going through change use that same fast-paced integrated approach to make impact? So back in 1993, you were what, about 30, 31 years old, something like that? I was 29, 8, somewhere around there. Okay, uh, got it. Yeah, right. So 
you loved politics and you wanted, I don't mean to put words in your mouth, but you wanted something mission driven? Look, I love politics and I love making change. But I, what I was beginning to increasingly believe is you don't only make change in the political arena or the policy arena. More and more companies, organizations, businesses had the money, the scale and the need to make a difference connected to their businesses. Today, 25 years later, you see Larry Fink's letter to shareholders from uh, BlackRock talking about the need for companies to be socially conscious. You have consumers who are increasingly value conscious and care about who they do business with. So we felt that you could not only create great change in society through politics and policy, but if you could make companies like Starbucks or Airbnb or Samsung or Wells Fargo or Delta use their power and their expertise to solve problems in the communities they operate, in addition to the basic products and services they could do, that would be a powerful way to also make change. I want to get into your time as an undergrad a little bit later in the interview, Lenny. At this point, though, again, in 1993, you had been out of college for less than a decade. What qualities, what skills did you have back then? that made you say, hell yeah, I can start my own business? Well, let's start with the fact that it was a little bit of nuttiness and naivete, but it was a lot of passion. And I think for me, what was wonderful about my first experience uh, coming out of college, which was politics, is as we described, it is this mixture of startup mentality, sorority, fraternity, circus. You are traveling the country. You are being airlifted into cities. You are starting businesses. You are reaching out to people. You are managing people twice your age. You are a human Swiss army knife. So it forces you to build muscles at a young age that you never could in a more traditional setting. So as a result, I was forced to learn how to build things from scratch. I was forced to think about how to reach out to different stakeholders and different audiences and try to bring people together. I was forced to think about how to motivate people at all ages, older than me, younger than me. All of those skills made me feel like I could go try to build something from the beginning in the world of marketing communications. That and the desire to do something different because I felt the marketplace had an opening for what we were trying to do, bringing the political model into the marketing world. And the second thing is, which I think is super important, is I was self-aware and proud about some of the things and my strengths, but I was also aware about things that I wasn't great at. And I had two wonderful partners, three wonderful partners, two of my peers who did different things better than me. And I embraced that. I wasn't jealous about that. And finding my tribe, if you will, the people who completed me, so to speak, to quote a fun movie, was really, really important. And I think that gave us a lot of courage and confidence that we didn't have to try to do it all by ourselves. Okay. I just have a point of clarification. When you talked about the fact that you were the equivalent of a human Swiss army knife, was that from your experience working on various campaigns? Yeah, because when you are on a campaign, you might be a field organizer, you might be a speechwriter, you might be writing the advertising strategy. But because campaigns move so fast, so quick, there's an expectation of people having multiple personalities. There's a need for you to do anything and everything. I always talk about the mentality of no job too big, no job too small. One day you're cleaning the bathroom, one day you're running the restaurant, one day you're managing the business. And you have to be okay with doing all those things. So you're constantly switching 
switching hats, changing directions, and you're building muscles that aren't only just your superpower, but things that go beyond that. So the opposite of the superpower you alluded to a moment ago, the things you weren't great at, and huge kudos to you for having self-awareness that you would recognize, hey, I may not be good at this, but look at these other guys. They are, and they actually compliment me. How did you develop that self-awareness and at the same time, that self-confidence that you were good with acknowledging that? Well, I think it is a combination of how one is brought up and it is a combination of not being afraid of failing and understanding that you can learn from your failures and that makes you better. And it is also, I think, about being an innately curious person because when you're curious, you meet lots of different people, diverse people, diverse thought, and you realize, oh my God, isn't that magical what that person does? I can't do that. That doesn't make it bad. That makes it interesting. And I think if you realize you're, you know, even when you start a business, it's never complete. You are always an unfinished startup. And we like to think of ourselves that way. So you're always learning. If you're not learning, you should change your jobs. You should change your career. So for me, the more I realized I learned so much from different people in different fields, the more I realized that if we were going to really make what we were building special and different, it was going to require a range of ingredients, not just the same flavor. You know, the best meals have a range of ingredients. If it's all salt or all pepper, it doesn't taste so good. So for me, it was seeing that on a campaign because on campaigns, there's a lot of different ingredients and realizing the best ideas came to be when all those people were working together. So speaking of ingredients, Lenny, for our listeners, the college students, the recent graduates who want to break into your industry, if they were to brew the Lenny Stern secret sauce, the way that one of your clients, Seth Goldman, who co-founded Honest Tea did when he actually started brewing his iced tea in the kitchen of his home, what should they be doing? What should they be studying? What should they be eating and drinking right now? Well, first and foremost, I may sound like a broken record, but I do think you have to follow what you love. There is so much pressure for young people today when they sit in institutions and organizations and they look to their left and they look to their right. And people may be pursuing finance or consulting or comsci or medicine or law. And that's great. And, and that's wonderful. But there are clearer roads there, if you will, clearer pathways. And it feels more like what you should be doing. And it takes a lot of courage to bring branch out and really explore the other worlds that have the less clear paths and where 32 recruiters aren't showing up on campus. But I do believe if you spend your time doing the stuff you love, you will wake up a much happier person later in your life. So one is do what you love, love what you do, be passionate about it. Two is I think there is a tension between leaning into the things that you are comfortable and interested in, which we all want to build those muscles and really expand vertically on the stuff we love and we're good at. But I think it's a little scarier to be vulnerable and expand into areas that you may know are important, but it's not what your superpower is. I think for young people, it's essential to mix things up. It's like working out. If you do the same thing over and over again, no matter how good the workout is, your muscles get used to it. So I'm a big believer in telling people, yes, lean into what you love, but also make sure you're pushing yourself beyond that and exploring other relationships 
related fields. Be curious about other areas because in our world, everything is interconnected. And if you don't have a sense or respect or understanding of those different capabilities, I think you'll be more limited. So I would make sure that you are sampling lots of things at a young age and not being afraid of being a less comfortable, doing less well at those, because in the end, you will come out a more complete person as a result. Fantastic. I'm going to push you a little bit here because I still feel we're hearing a lot of the elements that make up the Lenny Stern secret sauce, but I don't think you have explicitly teased those out. You're clearly a really articulate guy. You have an engaging personality. You like people. Maybe you don't, but you come across that you do. You're a great networker. What else would you fill in there? Well, I think that I pride myself, I hope, about being a really good listener and someone who, you know, I always say, two ears, one mouth. And I think it's a good reminder. And I think it's super, super important to hear what clients are saying and not just the words they're saying, but what's behind it. It's really important to understand the range of people you're interacting with on a business point of view, whether they're senior to you, peers of you, or junior to you. And for me, I meet young people every week, even if we're not hiring, because I'm interested in understanding how they're thinking about life, what they're doing. I try to myself to expand my sort of viewpoint into other creative worlds, whether it's writing, whether it's art, whether it's music, because those types of exercises force you to think a little bit less conventionally and outside the box. So for me, it is that constant desire to learn, never stop growing, never stop being a little uncomfortable that I hope makes me a better friend, a better boss, a better entrepreneur, and a better consultant to my clients. Fantastic. So let Lenny, you mentioned the young people that you meet with regularly who want to work at SSNK. What is a useful skill or skills that you look for in the young people that you hire in your firm? Well, you know, I have two answers to that. One is obviously in our world, having strong communication skills, both verbally and from a written point of view, those things are super important. How do you tell a story? How do you communicate an idea? With that said, even more critical are certain value-based experiences and characteristics, curiosity, someone who is constantly pushing himself or herself, self-awareness, be proud about what you're good at, don't be afraid to tell me about that, but also be proud to say, these are the things I need to keep working on, learning on. This no job too big, no job too small mentality. I want people here because that's how we roll. The people who understand that sometimes you're going to be in rooms doing things you never thought possible, but sometimes you're going to be asked to do things you might have been asked to do a couple of years ago. And you need that mentality. I also think empathy is a really important quality. Being able to hear people understand where others are coming from understand people outside your bubble. You know, I always tell young people and my own kids, I don't care what you think, but know why you think it. Understand the other side and respect it. And the last thing I always look for is fearlessness. I have this saying, you're not skiing unless you're falling. I want people not to be afraid to push back, to give us their own original thinking, not just to tell me or their bosses what they think she or he wants to hear. Do you have to be able to ski moguls? Because I actually hate moguls. I prefer the nice 
groomed runs. No, you know, it's interesting. My analogy there is what I'm proud of at our company, there's no one flavor at SSK. And I think at the best organizations, sometimes there are organizations where you have to look a certain way, act a certain way, have a resume, have a grad degree. I think what I love about this place that we've built and what I think is the best organizations, they embrace diversity, they embrace the crooked line. And you may be able to ski moguls, I may be able to do cross country. You have to be your authentic self. Some people present the way where they dazzle people and it is captivating. Some people present the way where it is all about the facts and the data and the knowledge base. There are different ways to skin a cat. And I think you just have to be comfortable leaning into what you are and then finding a way to interpret that in different worlds through your lens and what you're good at. Wonderful. That is such great advice. Lenny, what kind of life experiences other than skiing do you think are most useful for young people starting out in the field of marketing and advertising? You may want to expand on that strategic communications, that broad swath of careers. Well, you know, again, there are two ways to answer that. There's the more traditional answer that it is a great thing to work in a creative world in some way, shape or form and understand storytelling. It is great to understand research and insights and consumer behavior. It is great to understand and work in some sort of communications writing environment and so on and so forth. All of those things are valuable. But for me, I always encourage people to get outside the comfort zone, get outside the bubble. So I love people who've traveled a lot. I love people who have had less traditional experiences. For someone who's worked three years in retail or someone who's worked driving a car service, that's as valuable to me and as interesting as someone who's done a sort of internship at a bank or an advertising firm. Because when you're driving in a car service or you're a bartender, you have to learn how to serve people. You have to learn how to communicate. You have to learn how to listen. And what I've learned from traveling a lot and doing lots of different jobs is it forces you to open your eyes and appreciate people who may not have a resume that looks like you yours or may not have gone to the school that's yours or may not be the same color of you or or the same gender. I think it is super important to have a diversity of experiences that open your eyes to lots of different things because it, it will mean that you are a better listener and will appreciate different points of view. And in our world, that's super, super important. Absolutely. And I would add to that something that you've already said, Lenny, and that is don't be afraid to share when you fail how you failed, and what your lessons learned are. When I was released from my contract by CNN back in 2007, another way of putting it is they just shit-canned me, I was very embarrassed to talk about that, even though it had been, this was pre-social media, but there were news publications that had put out CNN didn't renew Andrea Koppel's contract. I still felt a loss of face. And so I was telling everybody but my closest friends, oh, we had a parting of the ways. I have since come to embrace that and recognize that they did me a huge favor by letting me go in 07 because I had an opportunity to reinvent myself before the floodgates opened when all the newspapers started rolling up, when other journalists started losing their jobs, I was actually a fairly rare commodity in 07. But having said that, Lenny, it's hard for someone at that point, I was 43, who's in their 20s, who has experienced failure. I think that is a great insight, Andrea. And I think 
The truth sets you free. It is liberating. And I think the older you get, the more you realize everybody has gone through ups and downs, twists and turns. And if they say they haven't, then they're not telling the truth. And I do think learning from those things, being honest about them is a incredibly refreshing quality for anybody who is interviewing someone or engaging with someone. And I think I've learned as much from my failures as I've had from my successes. And it is a scary thing and it is hard, but it is a universal truth. We all stumble. We all make mistakes. And it's really, how do you handle them? It's often not the what, but it's how you manage that. And I think that that is something that is hard for people to get comfortable with. Some never do. I think the most successful and happy people embrace it ultimately. Absolutely. And I am going to ask you about a failure that really sticks with you. But at the very end of the interview, before I do that, and before I get into the amazing work that you do at SSNK, Lenny, I want to ask you, what is the best career advice you've ever gotten? Well, I share this with everybody I can, and I'm excited you asked me. The one sort of caveat I have to make or note is that the best career advice I ever got was from your father, Ted. And as Andrea said at the outset, we are interconnected as family friends and have known each other for a while. And I know Andrea's mom and dad, who are both incredibly successful, Grace, Ann, and Ted. And we were in a pool, and I was deciding whether to stay in politics and potentially go work in a presidential administration in the White House, whether I was going to go continue working for the agency firm that I was at. It was a political consultancy firm. They were offering me a lot of money because they were merging with another company. So it was sort of the proverbial golden handcuffs. Or the most risky thing was starting SS&K and this business around this crazy, bizarre idea of taking the political model into the business world to help brands and organizations going through change. And your dad told me something really wise. He looked at me and he said, listen, 10% of the people in the world have the good fortune, the luck, the circumstances, the intellect to really do what they love and make a real impact to the communities and the people they interact with. And then he paused and he looked at me and he smiled and he said, but here's the trick. Only one half of one quarter of 1% of that 10%, really tiny, have the guts to go do that. And he looked at me, he said, go do that. It is a much more fun, much more rich way to live your life. He said, I promise you, it will not be easy. It will not be a straight line. There will be ups and downs, but you will wake up at the end of your professional life feeling happy, satisfied, and and really energized pretty much every day of your life. And I thought about that advice over the 25 years. I've always tried to employ it. I've shared it with others. And it's really worked for me. And I've heard other people come back to me, students, colleagues, and say, best advice you ever gave me. And I always have to say, well, it was Ted Koppel's advice. It wasn't mine and so on and so forth. But best advice I ever got. Well, I love that story for so many reasons, not the least of which is he never gave me that advice. (laughs) I've never gotten that advice from him. And I remember actually when I was 21 years old and I had made the decision to go into the Peace Corps and I'd been accepted to go to Nepal. And my father said to me, and this was probably 10 years before he gave you the advice he did. So maybe he had grown up since then. But he said to me, Lenny, I kid you not. So 
you're going to go do the Peace Corps for two years. And then what? Long story short, I ended up not going into the Peace Corps. But it was like he was so impatient for me to be able to spell out what I was going to be doing with the rest of my life. My father was a very young parent. So he was extremely young at that point. I'm glad to know that he gave you much better advice than he gave me. So I think there's a rule of thumb in life. I know I've suffered it. And maybe you have as a parent. As wise as we are sometimes with our kids' friends or colleagues or people who work with us or students, we're pretty much dumb idiots when it comes to our kids. And we don't make as good of, at least they don't like listening to us or we're not as comfortable. So I would give them a pass if I was you. I'm going to give them a pass. And the great advice that he did give me, which was basically how to get up off my ass and start looking for a job. He said, Andrea, if you think somebody's going to show up on a white horse and see you and say, oh my God, Andrea Coppola, we have been looking all over for you. Here is the perfect job. You got something else coming to you. Lenny, this is kind of a curveball, but what movies, if any, or fiction books, or for that matter, Hulu, Amazon, Netflix shows, do you think accurately depict your profession? Well, I'm going to answer that in a strange way. I'm not going to say Mad Men. I'm not going to say The Candidate. I love the War Room documentary. So if you want politics, check that out. But the book that I always ask people to read if they want to understand some of what we do and how we do it here at SSK is the book called Just Kids by Patti Smith. And that may be odd for some if you understand what that book is, but I really encourage people to read it. It's a book about Patti Smith, who is an incredible artist, a poet, and a songwriter. Her Horses album is thought by many to be the best ever. And she moved to New York at the time of Andy Warhol. She created a friendship with Robert Maplethorpe, one of the greatest photographers of his time. And it was at the time they were just finding their way. They were friends. They were lovers. He was bisexual. It was about their relationship and about how two people together make better thinking, better work. It's about how one and one is three. It's about the power of creative genius that doesn't just come from yourself, but it comes from wandering around a new city like New York and it could be any city. It's about exploring and checking out new ways people are communicating, new art, new music. And to me, it's the book I always tell people to read because it's a way of staying curious. It's a way of staying self-aware and it's a way of pushing yourself outside your comfort zone. So Lenny, one of the ways that you were curious and that maybe you were pushing yourself in new directions was to get a graduate school degree. You got a law degree you practice very briefly. Is that something that you would recommend that Java junkies do get that grad school degree? Do you need that in order to succeed in this field today? You certainly don't need it. Again, you need lots of experiences and diverse experiences. And that may be one of them. For me, there was a moment of time after many political campaigns where I felt I needed an intellectual break. I needed to force myself to think, to become a better writer, to become a better storyteller. And I used my legal education as a way to hone those skills. I will say I went to law school way more prepared after working for several years than just going straight. And I never regret going to law school. I loved it. I loved the way it made me spot issues, tell stories, advocate. And still to this day, it serves me well as an advisor or a communicator. I never thought I'd necessarily be a lawyer per se. And I, I made it all of nine months at Paul Weiss, a wonderful institution. But I realized I was 
fine. I was a good lawyer, but I'd never be great. It wasn't what I loved, but it made me smarter. So if, if a grad degree helps build muscles, that's all great. But you can build muscles working at a startup. You can build muscles working at a big institution. You can build muscles traveling the world. So I just encourage people to not stop learning and not stop pushing themselves. And by the way, you mentioned your tribe early on, you wouldn't have known my brother-in-law, Larry, or many of the other incredible people who are part of your tribe today had you not gone to law school. A hundred percent. I think, I always say this, Andrea, the, the most important thing in my life besides my family are the friends I've made and collected along the way. And I think of them not just as my tribe or my friends, I think of them as my family. And as proud as I am about some of our accomplishments at SSK and some of the clients we spoke about, the thing I'm most proud about are the young men and women who've come through this company, who've, who've left the more traditional route and worked here and have still to this day, whether they're here or not, through the ups and downs, said it was one of the more formidable things in their life. And that culture that we've built, the fact that we can still go to our a reunion party and not get thrown out, the people in your life are always the most important stuff. So speaking of jobs, Lenny, I want to talk with you about SS&K. Sure. Of all the clients you have worked with over the years, and I laid them out at least a few of them at the beginning of this interview, is there one that really stands out to you as being quintessential SS&K, where you would say, this is how we are and have been pioneering strategic communications and marketing. No one does it like us. We are the trendsetters. Well, I don't know if the hyperbole of no one else does it trendsetters, but I do like to think uh, humbly we're a little bit different in how we approach things. I will cheat and answer that with three clients because they're different. One is Delta Airlines. I say that because it was a really great example of how our political strategy, our integrated model, our 24-7, our zero-sum, our asymmetric, non-traditional creative solutions was really employed by one of America's and the world's greatest brands. Back when we were hired, they were in bankruptcy. People thought they would go out of business. And the CMO and the vice president of marketing and the CEO took a chance on this small fledgling agency because they were intrigued by the less traditional, faster-paced, integrated model. And we worked with them first to define themselves and their, their noble purpose. And we talk about 21st century gracious which is their core DNA about service, but in a modern way. We talked about a brand strategy of making every moment matter, which was really not an ad strategy. It was not a communication strategy. It was how to change the entire company, how to change the product, how to change the planes, how to change the terminals, how to change the food, how to train the flight attendants differently. And we really transformed the brand from bankruptcy to now today, almost 15, 16 years later, one of the most admired brands in the world, in the in the field of airlines, really differentiated from legacy players. So they acted differently, they executed differently, and we did everything from soup to nuts. But if you talk to Tim Mapes, who's the CMO, he will talk about our different model that combined political strategy and creativity, that unexpected and unconventional solutions that laid out everything 
everything from how they behave, their service, their product, and their communications. And even though today we don't work with them on an ongoing basis, they still wonderfully credit us with the whole transformation and they still employ that strategy. So that's one example. Two other quick ones, because they're different, is Odyssey, you referenced that. Seth Goldman, ironically, was a student of mine, as bizarre as that is. He was only a couple of years younger at Yale. I co-taught a course with Barry Nailbuff. He was the real professor. I was the fake professor. He's a game theorist, genius, and I was a practitioner. And we talked about how non-traditional things have influenced marketing communications. And Seth had this idea for a tea company that would disrupt the traditional players of sugary iced tea and so on and so forth. He wanted a value-based brand. And I work with Seth and Barry. We own part of the company and we help them bring to life their brand, but do it in a very non-traditional way where we had a social experiment where we had buckets of honest tea available and you could either take them for a dollar or steal them. And we wanted to see if people would do it honestly on their honor. And then we had hidden cameras and social media and it became this wild viral craze. You had ministers and rabbis stealing it and you had homeless people putting in dollars. We had a contest for the most honest city in the world. I give that example because it's a disruptor and it's a way of doing things very differently. They didn't ask for that. They didn't know if they wanted ads or PR or communications, but we came up with that unconventional solution. And I think we only did that because of our unique mix of political strategy and creativity. And the last one is the Obama effort. Just to be clear, we were one of a couple of very important agencies on it. David Axelrod, Jim Margolis, many others, BPI, Blue State Digital, they all did amazing stuff on that campaign. We had the youth effort. They wanted something different and unique. And it was incredibly satisfying to try to find unique ways to bring to life a really unconventional candidate looking to disrupt the world and tell his story. And those three different things, you couldn't be more different, but that's the beauty at best of SSNK. One day you're helping a president, one day you're helping a startup, and one day you're helping a Fortune 50 company. Oh my gosh, that is so fantastic, Lenny. And honestly, I could spend the next five hours talking with you about all of the amazing campaigns that you've built for various clients. But because our time is limited, I want to pivot very quickly now to the trends that are afoot in the advertising and marketing space. And in particular, how our young listeners in school today can be better preparing themselves for this new world. And I know that you said they need to follow what they're passionate about, what they're interested in, all of which I totally agree with. But I'm going to read the overview of a class that you taught in 2017 at Duke University. And the class was called Political Communications in a Social World. And it said, we will examine how politics, policy, creativity, journalism, technology, and pop culture have collided, changing the way people run for office, run campaigns, influence policy, cover and consume the news, build brands, sell products, manage crises, create grassroots movements, and change the world in which we live, all of which you just touched on there in the three examples you laid out. So what is the top line message that you can give Java Junkies, Lenny? The one or two or three ways all of those factors have changed the world in which we live in this marketing, advertising, strategic communications world. 
Well, I think at the heart of that class is the hypothesis and premise that 25 years ago, perhaps, if you were studying marketing, you took your marketing classes, you got a marketing internship, and you went into the brand side or the advertising side. Or if you were studying communications, you would either go work at a PR firm, you'd become a journalist, maybe you'd go on the hill. Period. End of story. It was very siloed. It was very sort of limited, if you will. And I guess the point of view of that class and relating to your question is over the last five years, particularly, but over the last decade, there has been this confluence of events that have pushed all of these things to overlap, that there is no more can you just be a marketing executive if you don't understand public policy issues. For example, Goldman Sachs, they launched something amazing called 10,000 Women and helping women in developing countries establish and get education they never would. Starbucks had decided to give education, free education to their baristas because that was something they needed and they couldn't get. So suddenly businesses have to understand policy. Marketers have to understand technology. So for me, the spectrum, the canvas you can play in with those degrees are very different. I'll give you examples. Richard Klepler, who is the CEO of HBO, one of the finest media executives in the world. And he started out, he owned a PR firm and a public affairs firm. And he used that to help him think about how brands needed to show up and make statements in the creative storytelling they did. Lin-Manuel Miranda, who everybody knows as Hamilton, an incredible creative storyteller, his first job was writing radio ads for his father, who was a political consultant. And the list goes on. What I believe is in this day and age, don't just check the boxes in your major. Make sure you are understanding technology. Make sure you are understanding public policy. And if you're a business major, make sure you understand creativity and make sure you understand communications. Because if if you're going to be a CEO or a CMO, you're increasingly expected to have those different skills. Someone I'm going to be interviewing later today, Lenny, wrote a piece earlier this year. I don't know if anybody else has written on this, but she describes the gig economy that we're in right now as being more of a portfolioist career, that it's more like a bento box rather than the early bird special so that you will be tapping into exactly what you just laid out there instead of being siloed as a marketing ad person. You may end up being a horticulturist. Who the heck knows? But you'll be tapping into and drawing upon these various skills. I want to flash back super fast right now to when you were an undergrad at Brandeis. You studied political science. Just very quickly, did you know, Lenny, back then, what you were going to do with that degree when you graduated? No, zero chance. <laughs> I guess I knew I liked it. I knew I was passionate about it. I thought maybe I would be in government and run for office. So I was unclear. But what I did know is I wanted to make a difference. Again, that sounds maybe sort of quite over the top. But, you know, when you grow up in the environment I did with my mom and dad and my sis, and we were all trying to just say, are you making a difference? Are you making an impact? Whatever it is. And I thought that you had to understand politics and history to make a difference in the community. But exactly what I was going to do, I didn't know. And that's okay. I think too many people today think they have to have it all figured out. And that can be a really overwhelming and almost immobilizing dynamic. A hundred percent. And the reason that I try to ask all my time for coffee guests that question is to empower young listeners to appreciate that even the Lenny Stearns of the world did not know what they were going to do with their degree. And he figured it out just as they will. Two final questions, Lenny. Let's go back 
to a time you failed? What was it? What did you learn? I think one example I think about is part of SSK's sort of DNA and philosophy is always experimenting, innovating, recreating, expanding, and thinking about new ways to do things. And early in our life cycle, we had Creative Artists Agency as a client. They are the world's largest talent and sports agency. Michael Ovitz, who was a famous agent, sort of the early Ari Emanuel, if you will, built an amazing company, but he was a very mercurial man. He left, as did the other founders. Founders and these young partners took over. And they were great agents, Richard Lovett, Brian Lord, Kevin Huvain. But they were not sure about how to build their culture and what they stood for. And they hired us to help them think through it, brand going through change. And we had a magical relationship with them. And we helped them. And every once in a while, you get everything right. We've got plenty of things wrong, but we did well with them. They really engaged us. And they basically said, why don't we go into business together? And we had this hypothesis that storytelling in a creative way through popular culture and entertainment content would increasingly become important for big brands who saw entertainment brand and technology really intersecting for the Cokes, for the GMs, etc. And we thought that was fascinating. It, it wouldn't be become SSK, but it would become one element, one arrow in our quiver, if you will. So ultimately, we started a business called CAA Marketing. We owned it with them, great partners. And after a while, they asked me to go back and forth and help run that. And I was, my partners and I decided for the good of our business and growth, I would do that. And I was sort of working with my partners here, but also working with my partners building this company, but I was on the ground doing both. And I'm very proud of what we built, but there became a moment where I realized I was not being the best version of myself for SSK or CAA marketing. And I was not being the best version of myself in my life. And I was torn because I enjoyed both of those things. But my colleagues at CAA really felt like, okay, we'd like you to do this more. And I came to realize that's not what I wanted. I was so proud of what I built collectively with Rob and Mark. We were doing so well, and that's what I wanted to do. And I felt like that was a situation where I didn't complete exactly what I wanted to do and how I wanted to do it. But I needed to unwind at that. And the lesson I learned, no matter how passionate you are about something, no maybe how good you are at something, you can't do too many things at the same time and really feel like you're really going to complete it. And I really realized that sort of being all in and understanding limitations was super important. And I felt like while we unwound it, I felt it wasn't a complete partnership. It was something that I learned tremendous amount. And I still have great relationships and I'm proud with what it became, but it was something I realized I needed to disengage from. That goes back to your self-awareness that you talked about earlier. So kudos to you. Final time for coffee question here, Lenny. If you could go back to Brandeis and do it all over again, but based on the wisdom you have now, what advice would you give yourself? You know what? I would say I would take advantage of the one time in your life or a very big time in your life where you can explore and experiment so many different ways to learn about so many things. You know, the advice I said about not just staying in your lane, not just doing what you love. I studied politics and history. That came easier to me. I loved it. I was passionate about it. And yes, I sampled some other things, but I wish I would have been bolder. I wish I would have tested more uncomfortable things. I wish I would have forced myself not to be terrible at languages or accept that 
that I was terrible. I wish I forced myself to understand how to code. There were things I didn't do because I was afraid. I was afraid of failing. And I think if I could do it all over again, I would run through the doors passionately because I'd never become an expert at that, but it would make me a more interesting, well-rounded professional. Well, I have to say you are a phenomenal professional and a really incredible person, Lenny. I want to thank you so much for making Time for Coffee today with me and the Time for Coffee community. I learned a huge amount and have even more respect and admiration for the human being that you are today. Thanks so much, Andrea. I can't tell you how much I enjoy talking with you. I love meeting and talking with people and to have a platform that allows people the ability to expand this and reach more young people is a fantastic idea. So I'm going to drink one more cup of coffee and then go back to work. Thanks so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you always have time to grab coffee. 24 7, no matter where you live. I have one quick favor to ask you. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Time for Coffee. Thanks so much.